the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you and Merry Christmas. Welcome to the December 20th edition of Lifeline for this uh, Tuesday. Trust you're doing well and uh, getting ready for the Christmas season here, which is fully upon us. And, of course, uh, this weekend we've got uh, Christmas Eve on um, Saturday, Christmas on Sunday. We've got some great Christmas programming going to lead into the Christmas holidays for you here coming up on Lifeline. That'll run beginning tomorrow, Wednesday through Friday, and uh, two great hours of um, music to get you into the spirit. A little break from the normal fare here, and uh, kind of our Christmas gift to you, so hope you'll enjoy it. And uh, we appreciate whatever you're doing this Christmas season, you taking KFAX along. Well, as we all ready for uh, travel and family coming into town and spending the holidays together in this most important season of the year in the Christian calendar, um, there are a lot of people that unfortunately are looking at Christmas as just yet another day. It isn't so much that they don't have the, the heart or the spirit, but their spirits have been crushed because of circumstances perhaps beyond their control. Maybe illness in the family that created a problem with employment, mounting medical bills, perhaps the loss of a job, whatever it might be. Life happens to all of us, right? And then some people kind of get caught up in that. And suddenly they're facing economic challenges, the likes of which we've never seen before. And if you've been unemployed in the Bay Area, you know that for the period of time that the unemployment insurance is there, um, it's not much. And certainly if you've got the average Bay Area mortgage to pay at your disposal, it could be the loss of your home. And as we've seen the impact of not only the job market in the Bay Area, but now inflation, more and more families this year are really struggling at Christmas. And this is why the Bay Area Rest Commission always seeks to not only make sure that there is a open door and a welcome hand for everybody that comes to the mission during the cold winter months, but most importantly for families that are struggling, that they can receive food, an ability to be able to celebrate Christmas at home that otherwise without our help and the efforts of the Bay Area Rescue Mission would not be possible. Joining me now is the CEO and president of the Bay Area Rescue Mission, Bram Begonia. Bram, I know it's busy season over there at the Rescue Mission, so I won't, don't want to hold you for too long, but wanted to touch basis and have you give us a little bit of an update as to what's going on during this week leading into Christmas at the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Craig, thank you for having us, and we've been praying for you to get better in your voice as well. It's great to be on. Uh, today was our big uh, Christmas box giveaway. We served over 500 fam- uh, families uh, physically in line with Boxes of Hope, and each and every night we do our traditional 
uh, Christmas dinners all week long. Of course, everyone in our community, whether you're a homeless shelter guest or you're a student in our program, or you live in the neighborhood, you want to drive in for a meal anytime you're hungry, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, you can eat at the Rescue Mission free of charge. Uh, we'll, we are ready to take you in and to love on you. Bay Area Rescue Mission really in that sense has been a beacon of hope for so many people that know that um, no matter how dire their circumstances might become, they can always find not only a warm plate of food, a warm place to sleep if if so need be, but at the very least find a warm reception. And, and I think this is really the distinction. There are soup kitchens out there and there are uh, pantries that provide food, but the Bay Area Rescue Mission really goes above and beyond uh, caring for the whole person. And I guess that really has been the key to the difference in lives being changed and so many people that maybe Bram come in because they're looking to get in and out of the cold, they're looking for a meal, their family needs a meal, whatever the case might be. And suddenly they discover there's so much more going on at the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Uh, It is, Craig. And, And I'm happy to say that, you know, this is what's happening Everyone, you know, it's been raining a lot, and we have the county core team, C-O-R-E, that goes out there in the community. We have groups and wonderful churches. Uh, Hope 680 is another ministry that's out there going to the encampments and to the RV parks and all of these uh, organizations. SOS is another one. All of these organizations all across the Bay Area, when they go out there, they're passing out, you know, that people are in the rain, where are they going to go and point people to? They're all pointing them to the Bay Area Rescue Mission. So it all comes to one place, and that's why we're geared up and prepared, and that's why we need support, and because uh, this is really where people go. Nobody wants to be at the Bay Area Rescue Mission for Christmas, Craig, but we are ready to serve, and as that saying goes, if you don't have a friend in the world, we have plenty of friends and family for you that are ready to take in you to take you in during this time of the year and care for you. And you know, Brown, I'm so glad that you make that point because I think sometimes we get a little bit jaded. We we read stories about the homeless situation in the Bay Area. We we see people that are asking for money at the freeway off ramps or where we might you know traverse going to school or work, whatever the case might be. And and maybe either kind of turn the other way because you feel as if you've seen so much of it or you get frustrated and you think, gee, somebody really ought to do something about this. Uh, Why do these people allow this to happen? Nobody starts life saying, you know, one day when I grow up, I want to be homeless. One day when I grow up, I want to have an addiction that destroys my family. Nobody starts out that way. Nobody looks to be in this scenario. And yet oftentimes, as I said earlier, life happens and people find themselves in these circumstances. The good news is the Bay Area Rescue Mission, like a big loving rescue net, swoops in to catch these people before they completely fall and and wind up by the wayside, which is sadly how um, secular society tends to treat them and gives them a renewed sense of hope. If they've ever had hope before, at least now they've got a taste of what real hope is. And to see the thousands of lives that have been changed year over year and people that 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 get off the street, get back into productive lives and community and, and, and part of the community and so forth, and then get involved in ministry and reaching others. It's phenomenal to see what the Bay Area Rescue Mission has done over the years. And Bram, the real key has been, as you point out, it's Acknowledging nobody wants to be here, but here they are. So let's do everything that we can to first and foremost give them hope and show them Christ's love. 
Yeah, Craig, and that's where it all starts. When the enemy teaches all of us, and we've, we've all been through there, uh, through that, Craig, where we say, I can do it on my own. I can provide for my family. I can do it. I don't need a body of believers. I don't need the Lord. I can just get a job and take care of my family. When that, when that comes crashing down and you can't, and you find yourself asking for help, that's where it actually starts. <laughs> that's where actually the process begins to say, oh, I can't do this on my own. I've been trying to do it on my own way. I need to depend on somebody else, a different group of people, uh, have a relationship with the Lord and, and move on with my life. And that's, that is where the process begins. And that's why so many people are generous once they've been helped, because they know they didn't want help. They've received help, whether it's from the Bay Area Rescue Mission or another church or another nonprofit. And because they've been helped in their deepest uh, need, their time of need, that's why they're so generous. And that's why they're so loyal. They'll, they'll give $25 a month to help the ministry because they've been there and they've been supported. And they know how much that helps uh, when you need a hand and somebody's there to give you a hand up. And, and to know that we as believers can also be that, that offer of a hand up in encouraging people, in bringing hope to their lives, and and really in a very practical sense, um, giving them the capacity to be able to break a cycle of, of be a drug addiction or poverty or whatever it might be, and to see their lives completely changed. And, and if you're somebody whose life has been touched by Christ, and I would imagine since you're listening to this program and this radio station, that is indeed the case, I want to challenge you to be a part of this partnership. Um, as Bram points out, this is no one act is an island. Um, people that come to perhaps show up because they're looking for a meal end up finding Christ and seeing their lives revolutionized. So when we talk about, hey, can you help us provide the resources to provide the meals, Bay Area Rescue Mission, between the Boxes of Hope distributed as well as all the meals that are served directly at the Rescue Mission now through Christmas, upwards of during this Christmas season alone, that means just since December 1st. Some 20,000 meals, all told, will be provided. But that can only happen with your help and support. Now, maybe it's too late in the season for you to run down there and be a volunteer, but something to think about for uh, a Christmas and Thanksgiving of next year. But in the meanwhile, all of us can take advantage of a very special grant challenge that's available for a limited time, which doubles your giving today. That's right. If you give a gift of, let's say, $1, $1 with the matching grant will be doubled, and that two bucks will provide a meal. Imagine how you can provide a meal for only $2 and a warm, nutritious, hearty meal at that. I know that there's no restaurant that will serve that to you. If you cook the food at home, you probably couldn't get the price per meal down to $2. But the Bay Area Rescue Mission is able to do so through strategic partnerships. But partnerships is the key. And that means your partnership, your participation makes a difference. As you consider your end of year giving, would you consider taking advantage of this grant challenge, which doubles your gift today? If you give a $50 gift right now, that will become $100. And that $100 will provide meals to 50 needy individuals. Let's hear from you today. You can simply go to kfax.com and click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at the top of our homepage. That's at kfax.com. If it's easier still, you can call us right now toll-free at 888-367-5329. That's 888-367-5329. And give your gift right now. We've got Miles standing by to take your call. Remember, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover. Every dollar you give as you consider your end-of-year tax deduction, every dollar you give is fully tax deductible. And now through the end of this week, 
Every dollar you give is going to be matched dollar for dollar. So you can double the impact that your giving has. Again, the average cost of a meal is just $2. A $50 gift tonight with the matching grant, which means 50 meals will be able to be provided. And um, we just need to hear from you right now. So if you haven't called yet to give that gift, would you do so right now? Simply go online to kfax.com and click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner or give that gift by dialing toll-free, 888-367-5329. That's 888-367-5329. Well, Brand Begonia, I know it's exciting times going on over at the Bay Area Rescue Mission. This is really a, a busy season for all of you. We want to thank you so much, Bram, for sharing a bit of the story. And uh, most importantly, helping, I think, the challenge and encourage all of us to really stand with this ministry as we all together endeavor to make a difference in the lives of so many hurting people. Thank you, Craig, and Merry Christmas to you, Jordan Michaels, and the whole team. Uh, Jesus is the reason for the season. We're here to serve our community, and we need all the help we can get. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you, too. Keep up the good work. And again, I encourage folks, go online, give that gift right now. Go to kfax.com, click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at the top of our homepage. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by. Oh, my goodness. Well, not only certainly a slice out of uh, biblical history, but a slice out of modern day events. As you can experience Bethlehem A.D. coming to the peninsula beginning the uh, the 21st of this month. Bethlehem A.D. now in its 30th year. A living recreation of the village of Bethlehem on the night of that first Christmas. You'll have a chance to walk through the village, interact with the colorfully costumed townsfolk who are cooking, creating pottery in the midst of buying and selling in the marketplace, and giving themselves accounts to the census taker. You'll also get a chance to observe and mingle with Roman centurions on horseback while sages and scholars discuss scripture at the synagogue. It is an incredible experience and particularly so for children who particularly and especially love seeing the live sheep, camels, yeah, I said camas, camels, Brahma bulls, llamas, and donkeys wandering through the village. You'll never believe it's actually happening in Redwood City and not the <laughs> not the historical Bethlehem. Here to tell us more for 30 years in a row, Paula Dresden, the creative director of Bethlehem AD. Paula, Merry Christmas to you. Hello, Craig, and Merry Christmas to you, too, and to all of our listeners. It's an exciting year for us. It's going to be our 30th yet final year on the lot that we currently have been using. So um, we're hoping to have a really grand um, show of it. <laughs> we're doing our very best to make everything perfect for our visitors. Uh, we're going to have um, Gabriel at the corner uh, really announcing uh, how Jesus will be the sign would be that Jesus would be wrapped in swaddling cloth, which is an interesting sign when you look more into it. And then uh, wise men will be there. They are um, dignitaries of Redwood City. They're the fire chief and uh, chief of police, etc. And uh, so it's just a really festive, wonderful time where it all culminates at the manger, and we can actually feel the Holy Spirit descend on people as they worship, as, as we all join in to worship 
the living God. Paula, take us back for a moment, if you would, uh, 30 years ago. Boy, that's a, that's a pretty incredible legacy. And I just want to get a sense of kind of the, the original vision, because having been to Bethlehem A.D. and any of our listeners that have experienced this, many folks who, in fact, kind of mark this as the, the official start of their family uh, Christmas celebration. I mean, uh, to, to come up with a little bit of a tableau, maybe a nice, quaint idea, to recreate, <laughs> to to the greatest degree of detail possible, Bethlehem. Wow. I mean, talk about a sense of vision. Give us give us a little bit of the background of the, of the original dream and how all this was birthed. Well, it all happened when a friend of mine took his son to a, a street called Candy Cane Lane here in Redwood City. And what the people do there is they dress up their houses and they deck it out with lights and everything. And it's all about Santa and and everything that's presents and all that. So my friend's son said to him in 1992, he said, Dad, we should have a drive-by nativity because, you know, you drive by these houses. And he thought about that. He got he really got caught up in the idea and said, okay, we're going to do that. So he came back to our had a little Bible study, and he presented this idea, and I thought, oh, you know, the world doesn't need another nativity scene. I was sort of against it, I'll be honest. But um, and then he said, well, what we'll do is we'll cover the whole church with canvas, and then we'll put a bunch of sand in the parking lot, and we'll have the scene there. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, and I pointed to a, a vacant lot across the street from the church. I said, well, let's ask the people who own that if we could use that lot. It seems more like more natural setting. So he did. He went and asked these people, and it turned out to be um, a dentist from San Francisco. And at first he said no. And then I said, well, go back and ask him again. So he went back, and he said yes the second time. And so um, what the dentist did was he put up a fence, a cyclone fence all around the lot, which is about three-quarters of an acre, and um, we cleaned out all the old garbage and stuff, and <clears throat> we started building the, uh, the the town. Now, what happened is the owner came to Bethlehem that year and was so impressed by what we did. I mean, we built a manger, and we had everything just really nicely done. And um, so he was happy about it, and it turns out he was watching Johnny Carson with his wife that very next year, and he dropped, he turned over and dropped dead. So his wife since then had been giving us the use of that property year after year in memory of her husband. <clears throat> then it, at some point, uh, the church, uh, well, what happened was the city wanted to take it from this woman by eminent domain, and she said, well, I'd like to give the church first refusal. And so the church bought it then, and they've owned it ever since for about 15 years. So uh, now what's happened is, and we built this incredible um, scene where we had angels on the roof of the church and I mean it really is quite spectacular you, I try to bring all the aspects of what may have been happening in Bethlehem on the night of the birth of Christ showing a Roman presence showing people who believe showing uh, rabbis in the synagogue discussing you know well how could a how could a baby be born with a messiah never slumbers nor sleep that baby's sleeping over there you know stuff like that it's the kind of fun stuff to think about and to talk about and, and so what we do is we present everything at once and the the visitor walks through and takes from it 
what they will. So it's not anyone forcing anything down your throat or cracking your head open with a Bible. It's just, <laughs> it's just a presentation of what daily life would have been like back then. And um, the Lord's been very faithful in, in uh, granting us the power of the Holy Spirit at the end. So we're very grateful. This is, uh, of course, as I mentioned, uh, really become a annual tradition for uh, families, not only across the peninsula, but people come from all over the state to experience yes. this. And it is literally a living tableau um, that is done with a lot of hard work by volunteers that take weeks, months preparing for this every year. And uh, you get a chance to experience Bethlehem AD for yourself coming uh, December 21, 22, and 23. It'll be six to nine. 9 p.m. rain or shine nightly. It's about a 20-minute walkthrough. Um, of course, if uh, you happen to have a family member who is uh, handicapped or needs a little bit of help, there will be golf carts available that uh, will help bring them through. And uh, this is free, by the way, and open to the public. They certainly appreciate donations to help support the uh, the expenditures related to this experience. And as Paula points out, this is really an opportunity to uh, to get a chance to to experience what it must have been like on that first Christmas. And um, it is not only a wonderful way to welcome in the Christmas season, uh, but certainly a wonderful outreach tool as well. Uh, a silent witness in many regards, but very powerful one nevertheless. Paula, if folks want to get more information, can they can they reserve uh, ahead of time if they've got uh, uh, somebody in the, in the family that needs a little bit of help? How's all that work? Uh, how it works is uh, it's a first-come, first-served basis. If you do have a disabled person or elderly person, they can come straight to the church parking lot. And that information is on our website, BethlehemAD.com. And um, so that would be one option. They would just wait in the parking lot and tell an attendant that they would like to have a golf cart ride. And then the other thing that we offer is free parking for all the visitors at 1250 Veterans, which is the Kaiser Permanente garage. And we have a free shuttle system running back and forth. Just turns out that these shuttles happen to be Mercedes-Benz vans. <laughs> you get a nice ride. <laughs> and the people doing it are so sweet. And so that's that's how we are able to accommodate parking uh, you know, interests, because it is kind of hard to park around here. Yeah, yeah certainly uh, downtown Redwood City gets busy, but uh, you can, you can uh, be able to uh, manage all the details by going to the website, BethlehemAD.com. That's BethlehemAD.com. And uh, visit the town of Bethlehem and experience that very first Christmas. 1300 Middlefield Road. Look for the searchlights in Redwood City. And uh, every year, of course, Paula, we get a chance to visit. We so much appreciate your vision, your leadership, your hard work down through all of these years. And we invite you to invite our listeners to come on out and experience for themselves. Bethlehem AD. Thank you so much. And just so you know, uh, we will be uh, streaming live uh, each night's performance, and you can see that, of course, all over the world. We have people in Israel and in Germany who tune in. 
If you've never been, you need to go. I, I mean, as I say, many families make this a part of sort of the official start of their their uh, holiday season on the 21st of December, run, again running 21, 22, and 23 of December from 6 to 9.30 p.m. nightly, rain or shine. Uh, but along with that, as I say, at least once, everybody in the Bay Area needs to experience Bethlehem A.D. On the web at BethlehemAD.com. That's BethlehemAD.com. Our thanks to creative director Paula Dresden for that update. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You go to the mall sometimes or maybe shopping and you watch a parent not parenting and the child's running amongst throughout the stores, pulling things off the shelves, the whole bit. And you think to yourself, how come somebody doesn't teach that parent how to parent or hold them responsible for their child? There ought to be a law. Well, apparently in Dallas there is one, though it has nothing to do with encouraging parents to parent. In fact, it seemingly has just the opposite effect. You might have heard of this case of a parent whose daughter was engaged in, at the age of 12, no surprise there, engaged in some inappropriate chatting on the cell phone. Happens all the time, right? So dad did what most thinking, caring parents would do, and that is he said to his daughter, taught you not to talk like that. I'm taking your cell phone away. The police were called, and the back end of the story is that he ended up spending a night in jail, had to pay $1,500 in bail, and it went to a jury trial. The father being accused of stealing his daughter's telephone. I guess I would, I would be in a lot of trouble as a parent, because in my house it would be, you live underneath my roof, I pay for your bills, and until the age of majority... My rules go, and if you don't behave appropriately, the cell phone will be taken away. Can anybody tell me right now, listening, that's over the age of 18, who doesn't remember a time when mom or dad said when you were 16 or something years old, you acted up, you misbehaved, you didn't do your chores, whatever, and the car keys were taken away from you for the weekend? Happened to me a bunch of times. I guess I should have called the police on my dad and said, hey, he stole my car. Let's try to see if we can't make sense out of what seems to make no sense at all. Dr. Greg Jantz joins us. He's a best-selling author of more than 25 books. He is founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources and the author of a new book that probably should be in the hands of every parent that has a child that's 18 or younger. It's called Hooked, The Pitfalls of Media, Technology, and Social Marketing. And Dr. Jantz, thanks so much for making some time out of your busy schedule to join us tonight. Is there something about this story I'm missing? I mean, really, this man was arrested for taking his daughter's cell phone because she was texting somebody inappropriately there's got to be a backstory please tell oh, me oh there's got to be but what is it it's it's uh, unbelievable isn't it just simply unbelievable and uh, the role of this several things that are confused here is uh, we've really uh, 
probably uncovered quite the conflict that was going on prior to taking the cell phone away. Something else was going on. And the other piece is uh, the role of technology with our young people and what's happening. Well, let's talk about a couple of things. First, as a bit of background, and this will immediately, I think, for most parents listening, say, aha, uh, the, the, the parents of this child are separated. Maybe they were never married. From what I've read, it doesn't appear as if there was ever any wedlock involved. So the daughter lives with mom but comes and visits dad. It was the daughter who had the telephone given to her by mom. Dad took it away when he saw that she was engaged in some inappropriate texting. And so part of this just seems to be... Uh, a bit of a, a battle between parents. It is, and of course the kids are caught in the middle of it. Um, and we know, too, that uh, there could be some different values as it relates to what's acceptable, even in, in text messaging. And uh, is that really private information? If you supply the cell phone and you have a kid who's under 18 and they're texting, is that private information? Well, let's talk what about this because I, I've, I've seen I've seen several postings on the web that seem to suggest that there's more than one individual out there that seems to be of the opinion that you know this child has her her rights and after all it's an invasion of privacy this that and the other thing and I'm thinking to myself really in in 2016 knowing the kind of dangers that lurk out there on the internet behind uh, social media sites everything from uh, you know pedophiles to, uh, well, you just about name it, uh, e- even these days we're seeing kids kidnapped and, and, and being brought into the sex trade as sex slaves. What, what thinking logical parent would say, oh, yeah, my daughter at the age of 12 has a quote-unquote, I mean, if you want to help give her a little sense of privacy in terms of, you know, don't, don't just walk through the bedroom door without knocking first, that I get. But a child that has a right to privacy on an electronic device under the age of 18, I, I, what is it that I'm missing here? Well, you know, we're back to um, really are we working on protecting our kids? Um, you know, what we do in our home, and I have two boys, is, um, you know, we know passwords. You share your password, and um, the phone or the smart device goes uh, actually in a charger in mom and dad's closet at a certain time in the evening, or you don't have it the next day. Uh, we talk about things that are, um, you know, downloading an apps. We make it a, an open discussion. We know that the average age to exposure to pornography on the Internet now is, is age 10. 10 years old. So we're seeing boys 14, 15, 16 really have developed what fits more in the category of sexual addiction. I just read a story, Dr. Chance, probably over the weekend, about a mother who had her young son, a 10-year-old boy, had his Facebook account linked to her. So anytime there was a like or a message sent, she saw what was being communicated. Yeah. To discover that he was suddenly communicating with a 30-year-old man who wanted to make arrangements to meet the boy. There was yeah. apparently some graphic exchange of conversation. The mother happened to see this, immediately intervened, turned the device over to police, who then, posing as this perp, uh, actually set up a meeting. The guy showed up and he got arrested. I mean, those kinds of dangers. Are there parents that are so naive out there that they don't realize 
realize that if they don't control these devices pretty strictly, like in the case of this father here, that the kind of risk that they are exposing their children to is the equivalent of saying, hey, let me give you 10 bucks and send you into the seediest part of town for the evening and, you know, come home by 10. Right, right. Well, you know, here's the thing. Technology, and if you have kids that have been born in the 90s, they're part of the I generation. It's the first tech, uh, generation to be tethered to technology. And there's an underground world, and they're faster and smarter than we are. And every day there's a new app, and kids move in herds. You know, Facebook is old news. We're off to uh, other things. And um, now I can buy an app and put it on my smartphone that looks like a calculator, but it's really a disguised communication tool. Um, We have instant live uh, videoing now. And there's some apps like this that the parents ought to really be concerned about. So we've got to involve ourselves in the lives of our kids uh, really from a protection point of view. And again, as, as we're suggesting, this is not necessarily because you're trying to snoop on them or, you know, you're, you're trying to set up an environment where you demonstrate out the gate that you don't trust them. But the level of vulnerability out there is, is so incredible. In fact, we'll, we'll pose this question for Dr. Jans and have an answer when we come back after a timeout. When I grew up, granted that was back when the Stone Age was here and there was, you know, no electric light or running water yet, uh, my father insisted that if I was going out for an evening or hanging out with neighborhood kids after a certain time of the day, he wanted to know where I was going to be what parent was at that home, a telephone number to call in case of an emergency, and he insisted upon knowing the parents of the children that I associated with. He said it was just good parenting. That was just to protect me from what might be lurking in the neighborhood. Imagine today where with the Internet, it's the whole planet that we need to be concerned about. So what of that? We'll talk about that when we come back to more of the conversation. Do you believe that your child's so-called right to privacy ought to trump your responsibility to protect your son or daughter? If you were the parent in this Dallas case, 12-year-old daughter inappropriately texting with someone, broken the rules, you say, okay, you break the rules, I'm taking the cell phone away. Is that an appropriate parental response? What about the city of Dallas? Really? They don't have enough crime problems down there that they go and arrest this guy and put him in the hooskow overnight? This ends up going to a jury trial all over the question of the father being charged with stealing his daughter's cell phone because he was disciplining her for inappropriate behavior in texting on said cell phone. I mean, at at what point do our child's rights end and our responsibility as parents begin? Dr. Greg Jantz, he is best-selling author and founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources. We're talking about the shocking case out of Dallas. Fortunately, the judge said, there's no evidence here. Get this thing out of my courtroom. But it, it, it begs the question, should parents not take full responsibility for parenting their children? And since when should the police department, the government, get involved in a case like this? A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. So split parents here, daughter primarily lives with mom, visiting dad, 
Dad sees daughter engaged in some inappropriate texting. Rules of the house are he can't behave like that. Says the daughter, I'm confiscating confiscating your telephone. The 12-year-old pulls a typical 12-year-old conniption fit. Goes tattling to mommy, who apparently decides this is a great way to get back at daddy. And then through the police demands that the telephone be returned. Otherwise, it's considered stolen property. Now... That's that's the lay of the land. What's your reaction? Let's go to San Jose and say good evening to Elaine. Elaine, come on in with your comment or question for Dr. Greg Jans on this topic. Good evening. Um, yes, it's more of a question comment type thing. I was listening to Kevin uh, Lehman, Dr. Kevin Lehman, oh, yes. psychologist, uh-huh. and he was making the point that uh, in this very exact. A topic of cell phones that parents don't realize that the phone belongs to them because they are the one that paid for it. So therefore, if a child abuses the uh, rules and guidelines of the telephone, that the cell phone, then the parent has every right to take it away from the child. Now, in this particular case, I think because of the way our culture is going, we seem to get things confused as to what and who has a right, and you get the right lawyer out there, and they'll sue for the most ridiculous things, as in this case, I do believe. Um, and I'm just glad that the um, judge threw it out. Um, but it, it, the fact that it got that far was kind of interesting to me. But I think you're right on when you say that it's, uh, it was appeared that the mom was trying to get back at her ex. Oh yeah, I mean that—that's—that's that, that, that's certainly, I think, a big uh, component here, Elaine. And the other thing that I find of, of, of concern, and Elaine kind of alludes to this, Doctor Jans, and that is the notion that you know we're in a day and an age when some of the child psychologists out there say, now don't don't spank or paddle a child because that's considered uh-huh. to be abusive. So right. then, what tools are left to a parent to try and discipline a child in an appropriate fashion if you if if taking away their privileges is abusive? and spanking them is considered child abuse and you can't take away the cell phone because now you're stealing property, why do we call them children then? Why don't we just say that they're, you know, miniature adults? That's right. Well, good point. You know, and I think, too, another bigger picture is... um, How do we handle the whole issue of technology with our parenting? We know that um, uh, there's some real dangers right now with kids and technology, and how do we monitor this? What do we do? Um, And how do we uh, set up technology rules for our family and our household, and what's our values there? Um, How do we use it for good? So these are all important questions. You have a broken uh, family. Uh, this gets even more complicated because one parent may uh, be more involved than the other in uh, the whole technology realm. And so we, we send a lot of mis- messages. Are parents uh, underplaying that- the, the danger here? I alluded before the break to the notion that my father insisted on knowing who my playmates were, who their parents were. And by the way, if you're going to be over at so-and-so's house, I want a telephone number. I mean, was that overprotective for that era? I'm talking 40 years ago. And if that was overprotective for them, considering what's lurking on the other side of a cell phone or the Internet these days, my goodness. That's right. So what we do know is that uh, that was probably not overprotective. That showed love and care and protection. And right now there's a whole other level of 
invisible level of communication, connection uh, that's happening via uh, the Internet and online activity that parents uh, probably for the most part, I'm always amazed how many parents really um, aren't, aren't privy to how much is actually going on. You know, how many kids have received uh, sex texting? How many kids have had bully behavior online? So I, I just want to open up the awareness. I want to keep this so kids don't feel ashamed and they can talk about it. And, you know, developmentally, um, uh, developmental stages, the research has shown us that overstimulating the brain uh, with nonstop high-intensity blue screen activity um, really over time uh, can create what we call a craving brain. That brain wants more and more stimuli. We know boys are more prone to this. And it can really set you up to have an addictive type brain and craving more and more. So in addition to some of the obvious things like uh, pedophiles trying to make connection with children, things of this sort, uh, there, there's this whole layer of, of exposing them. And, and I guess it's true then that there, there, there are levels of maturity which our children need to be prepared to what they're exposed to. That isn't to say that eventually they're not going to run into this. I mean, uh, how many of us listening right now have innocently sat down to the computer and, and, and Googled a, a cooking recipe and all of a sudden, my goodness, got hit with porn? Jarella's raising his hand. It happens all okay. the time. And, yeah. and yet to understand, like this one recent uh, junior high school, half of the student body got disciplined because they were swapping uh, naked photos of each other. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, yep. it, is, it is a slippery soap. And, and does it say to parents like Elaine and others out there, uh, you need to take time to get educated and realize that there's a lot more going on and capable of taking place in the digital realm than most of us are really uh, aware of? There's a lot more going on, isn't there, than what we're aware of. Uh, we do something called a digital dinner. One night a week, it's okay to talk about anything related to technology. The kids can take charge, and we sit there and learn about things that they know about, so that it helps us. <laughs> so, and we also want to promote to have one day of technology detox, where you just set it all away and down, and you're not involved with it for a day, and you, you learn how to do a board game. That's a board game, not a boring game. And you begin to do things that you wouldn't normally have done. You're not talking like people actually sitting and conversing with each other face-to-face, -face, are you? Well, I, I knew that I had a problem in my home some time ago, and my two boys were at the dinner table texting back and forth under the table. To each other. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we sure appreciate the time tonight. Thank you also, Elaine, for your input. And uh, let me mention, by the way, that Dr. Jantz's book, Hooked, the Pitfalls of Media, Technology, and Social Marketing, um, is uh, available. And uh, can you get it through your website as well, Dr. Jantz? Visit us at aplaceofhope.com, yes. Excellent. Good good resource for more information and, of course, to get a copy of the book. And, again, you know, this, this is a topic that I realize for any of us over the age of... 20, uh, uh, we're, we're still playing catch-up, and what comes naturally to the kids is a big learning curve for all of us. But be aware of the pitfalls and the dangers that are out there. This case certainly out of Dallas is at the extreme, and yet demonstrative of the fact that this parent was simply doing their job to protect their daughter because uncontrolled, unfettered, uh, this can be a very dangerous 
um, manipulative tool in the hands of the wrong people. And the kind of stuff that your kids can be exposed to can be very dangerous. I'm not suggesting that it's not great technology. We all enjoy it. Life has gotten a lot easier at many levels, a lot more complicated at many others. But uh, it needs to be a case where, parent, you need to be actively engaged and aware. And I like what Dr. Jans suggests. How about a disconnect it, turn it off evening for the entire family? Dad's not responding to emails from work. Mom is not texting, you know, a friend down the street who wants a copy of a recipe or trying to coordinate, you know, the, 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 the you know, who's taking who the, to soccer practice next Saturday. The kids are not texting each other, sitting right across the table from each other and texting each other. Can you believe it? How about just good old-fashioned face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball conversation? Remember how that goes? You say something and I listen, then I say something when you listen and then we repeat. Fascinating thought, isn't it? wonder how that goes. All right. Thanks so much to Dr. Greg Jantz. Again, the book, Hooked, the Pitfalls of Media, Technology, and Social Marketing. You can get it on his website at aplaceofhope.com. That's aplaceofhope.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.